Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Nuggets numbers. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday morning as we get into yet another episode of Nuggets Numbers, the 2019 episode year in review. It's been a great year. It's been a wild year for me. Started this year in college, uh, living with my girlfriend in South Carolina. Didn't expect any of this to happen. Becoming the site manager, taking over at Denver Stiffs. Didn't expect this Nugget season to happen quite the way that it has either. But you don't always expect what's going to happen in the future. And you just have to prepare for it no matter what. And face down the results. And totally understand that things could get hairy. And things could get weird. But for the Nuggets specifically... Things got weird in probably the best way on Sunday with Michael Porter Jr. and Jeremy Grant entering the starting lineup in in relief of Paul Millsap and Gary Harris. And things went probably as well as could be expected. Those two guys provide such a interesting dynamic, such a a a greater length, athleticism and shooting ability at this point. Uh, Paul Millsap, while he is a strong shooter, isn't as uh, willing to take some of those shots when they're not open as a guy like Jeremy Grant is and as a guy like Michael Porter Jr. is. And both of those guys provided a really interesting dynamic in Denver's starting lineup that I think is probably a glimpse of the future for this Nuggets team at some point. So we'll get right into that. But the second half of this segment is going to be 2019 in review. They're going to be my favorite Nuggets moments of 2019. Going through that list and assembling some of those pieces, thought it was pretty interesting to look back at where this team came from. What were the what were some of the best things that happened to this Nuggets team? It was a really interesting journey back through what went down, and, and I took a deeper look at the playoffs took a deeper look in what exactly happened in the playoff series once again. And having some perspective, having some understanding, left me with some interesting interesting thoughts, I think, that, that will determine how this Nuggets team is going to develop for years to come. So without further ado, let's get right into the Kings game. So yeah, the Sacramento Kings, they had De'Aaron Fox come back into their starting lineup, did not have Marvin Bagley, but that means more Rashawn Holmes. He's a killer. He totally understands everything about this Nuggets team and how to attack them. 
uh, whether it be lobs, whether it be the short roll where he he's extremely efficient. He finished the game with a cool 18 points on 13 shots, zero free throw attempts in that, and was just once again one of the important pieces in keeping the Kings in this game. But the big story of the night, Michael Porter Jr. jumps into the starting lineup in favor of an injured Gary Harris. Uh, it was a really surprising move to see Gary Harris off of the or on the injury report prior to that game. Uh, something came up out of nowhere. It, it seems to be, and he's, he remains on the injury report for the Houston Rockets game today. Uh, he's questionable with a, a left or right shin contusion. Don't remember which, but going to be interesting to see how that goes. But it gave Denver an opportunity to really flex their muscles with their depth and insert Michael Porter Jr., insert Jeremy Grant for Paul Millsap. And the look that Denver had at the start of that game with Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Porter, Grant, and Nikola Jokic features two ball handlers that can really shoot off the dribble, two tall athletic forwards with shooting ability of their own, and surrounding Nikola Jokic as a passer. I thought it was really interesting the way that this lineup played together. The defense obviously going to leave a lot to be desired. I thought that ranging from some gaffes from Murray when when defending Fox, some gaffes from Porter when defending Bielitsa, uh, there were definitely some problems defensively, of course, but that's never going to be a defensive lineup. Everybody has to go in understanding that that this game wasn't going to be won by defense, and Denver didn't win this game by defense. They won because they could outscore the Kings when it came down to it. But this lineup, this starting group, so much athleticism, so much shooting on the floor. Jamal Murray is, and with the way that Jokic is shooting right now, Jamal Murray's probably the worst shooter on that lineup, which is insane. Uh, Will Barton's been shooting reasonably well, though he has cooled off of late. Porter's up to 37% from three, which shocked me when I looked at it. Grant's up to 41% from three, and Jokic is on fire in December, and he didn't even attempt a three in this one, but didn't really need to. And, and that was kind of the story I thought with this starting group, was that Jokic didn't really need to get involved for a long time. This offensive group was popping. The ball was moving. Jokic was passing guys open. Murray and Barton were passing guys open. And Jeremy Grant and Michael Porter Jr. were the recipients of a lot of great shot attempts. Whether they be at the rim, behind the arc for three, or getting to the free throw line. Those guys combined for eight free throw attempts, made eight of eight. The Nuggets as a team shot 28 of 31. Mason Plumlee shot nine of 10 from free throw. When the Nuggets have this many shooters and this many capable offensive players, numbers like that can tend to happen. And I was just, I was really impressed with the way that this ball was moving and the way that the ball was getting into the paint. It was so easy. It, this, there was so much space on the floor. Uh, the Nuggets opened up with a couple of back cuts that they usually run for Paul Millsap, where Jamal Murray screens along the baseline and Paul Millsap cuts into the paint. This time they used Michael Porter Jr. And it was very evident that his athleticism, his size, 
a six foot ten target. It made it very easy for Nikola Jokic to pass him open, get him the ball where he needed to, where he could either go up for an easy layup or get fouled. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Porter had a number of shots at the rim and a number of free throw or two free throw attempts that he made. He converted on all of those shots, and it was just very impressive to see. Yeah, the, the game started with an offensive explosion from Denver. They scored 18 points in five minutes without Jokic taking a shot. And it just, it's just very, very impressive. After that initial scoring burst, Denver slowed down a bit, but not enough for the Kings to catch up. Denver obviously had this parade to the free throw line. They stayed ahead. And it really was the size and athleticism combo throughout the game that I thought separated Denver the most athletic player on the Kings is probably either De'Aaron Fox or Rashawn Holmes. But beyond those guys, Kings are made up with, with Nemanja Bielitsa in the lineup, Buddy Heald, who's not a strong athlete. Harrison Barnes has really tailed off with his athleticism. Denver really showcased a lot of athletic guys in their lineup tonight with Obviously, Grant and Porter and Barton in the starting lineup, but Mason Plumley was getting it wherever he wanted on offense. Uh, Malik Beasley played a lot of this game, shot really well, uh, at least at least from the inside the arc. Outside the arc, he could have even shot better, and that was one of my big takeaways from this one was that Denver only shot 8 of 29 from 3, and it was one of their best performances of the season. 27% from 3, and they're putting up some amazing numbers despite that. According to Cleaning the Glass, this was Denver's fourth best offensive showing of the year. And it came on a night where Denver attempted just 29 threes and were missing two starters. And it, it those, were, those would generally be the recipes, and they're on the second night of a back-to-back too. Those would generally be the recipes for a bad offensive night. And while the Kings are no stalwarts defensively, Denver really took advantage of them from an athletic standpoint, and Jokic didn't have to get involved until he really needed to, and when he was, he was extremely efficient. So credit to the Nuggets for stepping up without a couple of their starters, even in the face of the the lack of defense, when, which is what happens when you remove a, a first-team caliber defender in Gary Harris and the defensive anchor in Paul Millsap. I'm kind of like um, it, this shouldn't be a surprise at all that this is happening but again the main story was Michael Porter Jr. even when he wasn't cutting to the rim he was showing off this impressive skill set throughout the game he hit multiple step back jumpers a falling runaway from the edge of the paint just the height and athleticism combo of him was something that we haven't seen in Denver for a long time Danilo Gallinari is the guy who stands out from a six foot ten side, but he could never jump the way that Porter can. He could never move the way that Porter can. And once you can really see the makings of Porter's skill set in this starting lineup, playing off of Nikola Jokic, getting back screens from Jamal Murray, playing a two man game with him. Uh, maybe he's even picking and popping for. Nikola Jokic, when when Jokic wants to drive to the rim, maybe Porter's rolling to the rim once he bulks up a little bit. You can really see the makings of a a quality starting player, and it's it's very very impressive. 
I thought the most impressive part of his game was his shot chart, though, and people haven't talked about this enough. Five of his field goal attempts were within five feet. They were all makes. Only two mid-range shots throughout the game. One of those was that running fallaway shot that he hit over, I believe it was Harrison Barnes, but I can't remember. Uh, Both of them were contested, though. Both were makes. Didn't matter. He had three three three-point attempts. He made the contested step-back shot, and he missed both of the the two open catch-and-shoot looks. Those were the only two misses he had all night, and they were the two open threes that he got. So that's going to change. Like that's those num those shots are eventually going to go down, and so even or even when he doesn't make as many contested shots as he made tonight, there's still an opportunity for him to remain efficient if he's hitting his catch and shoot looks. And I think he's going to get a lot of those as he gets more comfortable, as he starts moving a little bit better, as he's cutting and getting stronger there's for for as much of the consternation as there's been uh, that he would affect the Jokic ball lineup that he would come in and want to shoot off the dribble all the time and and play the mid-range game and really showcase his skill set so far he has actually been one of the most valuable players from a a shot location standpoint he has shot over 70 percent of his looks have come from either the restricted area or behind the three-point line, which is higher than any other player on this Nuggets team except for Torrey Craig and Wancho Hernan Gomez, and and their role really is to cut and shoot threes. He has more of an... And while Porter does that, he, he has an opportunity to continue to grow his game around that too. I pulled some numbers for Porter that I want to share, and I, I want people to take these numbers with a grain of salt because he's only played 200 minutes in his NBA career so far. Right now, he's up to 37% from three. He's up to a 57.4 true shooting percentage. That is an extremely good number for a rookie. Just just one of the one of the strongest numbers for somebody that plays reasonably regular minutes. Among the guys that have hit those benchmarks, that have a 20% usage rate, which means that they're pretty involved in the offense, and a 57% true shooting mark that are all rookies. There are only 15 guys that have done that on the minutes that Michael Porter Jr. has or more. And the majority of those guys are Hall of Famers. I'm going to count them here. Michael Jordan, Tim Duncan, Magic Johnson, Shaq, Charles Barkley, James Worthy, then there are some current players like Carl Anthony Towns, DeAndre Ayton, DJ Augustine did it back when he was a rookie, Eric Gordon, Jaron Jackson Jr. Scalabi Sierra actually did it, though, on limited minutes himself, as did Evan Fournier. If you noticed, very few guys that can be considered true small forwards on that list. Very few guys that if they're at least six foot ten, like like Michael Porter is, that aren't already bigs. You had the guys like Tim Duncan and and Shaq and Cat and guys of that nature, but very few people that are of Porter's size and skill level have been able to maintain that level of efficiency thus far. Now again, take it with a grain of salt. He has not played enough time to really be looking and digging into these numbers, but. He has earned more playing time with his shot making. It's a simple fact. It doesn't really need to be explained anymore because he just has to play a certain number of minutes. When you when you put yourself into that position 
of being able to make that level of shot at the level that he is with the size and the skill level that he has on unlimited if unlimited attempts he has had his minutes kind of jerked around a little bit because he hasn't been able to pick up the defensive end as much and that is no fault to Michael Malone who is required to win games as well as to develop Michael Porter Jr. so I I last week on this podcast I said hey he's doing the right thing by limiting Porter's minutes I'm gonna go a little bit the other way on this one I think Michael Porter Jr. has to play two stints every game I think he has to (coughs) excuse me I think he has to play some in the first quarter and he has to play some in the third quarter doesn't mean he has to be involved in the fourth if he earns those minutes then more power to him but I think they're doing the right thing by playing him around 10 to 15 minutes per game it's been really impressive to see what he's done over the last couple of games uh, and putting that Putting those two games together on a back-to-back is very impressive. Now, we'll see what happens when the 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 demand and the difficulty becomes a little bit higher. When he has to play a team like Houston uh, t- today, tonight, if he does play tonight even, I don't know. Maybe Torrey Craig will take his place. But if he does play in this game, it will be facing a guy like P.J. Tucker or facing some other quality Houston defenders and veterans that really understand what they have to do. But all in all, just very impressive debut from Michael Porter Jr. in the starting lineup. And it needed to be said, like he he has to get the credit that he's due, as do all of these other guys, this, this Nuggets team. They've won nine of their last 10 games and multiple guys have come to town to be able to do that. So... Let's see if they can keep it going on a five-game road trip upcoming. They're going to play Houston tonight. They're going to play Indiana. And they're going to play Washington uh, this coming Saturday. So two tough games followed by what should be an easy game, considering Washington has lost 12 of their last 15. But the Nuggets have butchered easy games before, so nothing, nothing can be overlooked. So we'll see how that goes. When we come back... We're going to get into the year in review segment. I want to talk about my favorite moments from 2019 because it is New Year's Eve and it just seems like the plainest time to be able to do this. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here. It's just me today. We're going to see if we can work in some new guests in the future of this podcast. Been a lot of stuff going on, and in the holiday season, it's tough to continue to work people in. So we're going to do our best to to work some new newcomers into this pod. 
going forward. Maybe some from opposing teams so that we can get some some perspective on, on some of the things that have happened. In this segment, I want to talk about my favorite Nuggets moments of 2019. I have 10 here, and this is dating back to the 2018-19 season, though it's only going to consider the 2019 part. So one of the moments that I had to leave off was Wancho Hernan Gomez's block against the Golden State Warriors at the beginning of last season. That was a wonderful moment, but it happened in October of 2018, so can't include that one. Uh, and anything after this point that occurs, I mean, I guess something could occur in the Houston Rockets game tonight, but anything after that point will be 2020. Pretty exciting stuff. So let's get into this. Number 10, and we're going to go in reverse order from the, the least impactful to most impactful moment, or at least my least favorite to favorite in, in this case. Number 10. I'm going to go with Michael Porter Jr. starting his first game. I was in the building for it. It was really impressive. He scored 19 points in a win and looked like a future star with some of the shots that he was taking. So very impressive work from him. It could be early, but we and we, we obviously are jumping the gun on this one, but he deserves to have that place in 2019. There are a lot of other players that have contributed to the Nuggets over this last over these last year, and he is only a small piece of that puzzle, but we're going to look forward with this one because I think this is going to be a springboard moment for Michael Porter Jr., kind of etching his way into the regular rotation and understanding that this this was kind of the kicking off moment, so very cool stuff. Number nine, I'm going to go with Malik Beasley. His 35 points against the Houston Rockets in February of 2019. That was a Nuggets win. The Nuggets scored 136 points on national TV that day. I remember watching that. I was in my apartment in South Carolina at that point, not covering the games on a permanent basis at that point. Malik Beasley couldn't miss. He was extremely impressive, hitting shots off the dribble, hitting threes coming off of screens. He had two extremely impressive transition dunks. One of them will live forever as he was rising up in a clutch situation in the Nuggets uh, statement edition uniforms where Austin Rivers is laying on the hardwood in the background. It was a very impressive shot. Uh, Really going to be interesting to see what happens with Malik Beasley in the upcoming in 2020 because it's unfortunate that he's in this position, but the Nuggets really have a minutes crunch at this point if they're going to give Michael Porter Jr. a lot of time. And so I'm sure that it wasn't the most fun thing for Malik Beasley to be passed up in the starting lineup and Michael Porter Jr. instead being the starter in this previous game. Malik Beasley's earned that time. He wants to be a starter, and a rookie coming in and starting over him probably doesn't feel very good. It worked out best for the rotation, and I thought the Nuggets were better for it, but it's going to be interesting to see how long Malik Beasley's here. I'm I'm rooting for him to be a Nugget, though. He does a lot of great things and is extremely explosive for the Nuggets, as that 35-point game against Houston showed. The Nuggets scored 136 points, and Houston scored 122, so Denver really needed every single one of those points, and 
that was the game that I remember thinking, yeah, Malik Beasley can definitely be a starter in this league. He definitely has that capability and his ability to get his shot off really quickly and really efficiently no matter what, his ability to get to the rim. He has developed his game a lot even since that point, but hey, 35 points when you're basically a complimentary player, it was just a a very strong performance from the shooting guard at that point. So good on Malik Beasley for coming in at number nine. Number eight, I'm going to go with the entire Will Barton season thus far. He has been a revelation for this Nuggets starting unit has really, really helped the offense continue to grow. He's one of the most valuable players from an analytics standpoint. Just been a really, really important piece to what the Nuggets have been doing over the last, over the first 31 games of the season. He's only missed a couple, and the two that he missed, the Nuggets could barely score a thing, uh, especially with the starting lineup. His ability and his versatility as both a an off-ball shooter and as somebody who can handle the ball and run pick and roll and dribble handoffs with Nikola Jokic. Just a very important piece of the 2019-2020 Nuggets season. And his ability to defend. He's done a really nice job of matching up with a variety of players. I, I remember him actually facing the Houston Rockets and James Harden. And while Gary Harris got a lot of the credit for that and Torrey Craig got a lot of the credit for that, Will Barton also spent a lot of time on James Harden in that game. And I thought he performed admirably. Did a lot of great things in that game and in other games that helped get the Nuggets the win. He's just a gamer. I looked up the stat earlier and I, I, I don't want to swear to it because I don't remember perfectly, but in the 29 games he's played, I believe he has only hit single digits six times. He's hit at least double-digit scoring in 23 of the games, which is the consistency you're looking for from a starter. He's just been a, a really strong presence, and whether he's scoring 11 points or 20 points or even getting up to 25 or 26 He's been consistent. He's been Denver's most consistent player, I would say. That's been a really, really important piece of Denver's season. Number seven. Let's kick it back to the previous season. And pretty early in it. Oh, actually, oh, man. I think Murray's 48 points versus the Celtics actually happened in 2018. So let me pivot really quickly because I have another moment from Jamal Murray that I want to talk about. His, uh, this was actually a game against the Kings last year. And it was, it was a pretty impressive performance. And it started with a really not impressive performance from Murray at the, at the beginning of that game. He had just two points at halftime of a game against the Sacramento Kings in Sacramento on January 3rd of 2019. And I called him out on Twitter. Uh, at halftime, I said, hey, the Nuggets can't get this level of performance from Murray, basically, if if he wants to be an all-star and they want to be a championship contender. Lo and behold, he must have seen my tweet because, oh man, that dude just went off. 34 points in the second half, extremely efficient, hit six threes, just brought the Nuggets back in that game, had a lot of impressive shots difficult shots, really getting to the free throw line, 
making some good decisions with the basketball in that half. Just one of the most impressive scoring halves from any Nugget ever, honestly. 34 points in the second half. Hard to really top that from Jamal. It really showed in the year 2019 just what he was capable of as a, as a guard scorer. Uh, isn't always going to make the right pass, isn't always going to execute the fundamental that you're looking for, but there are very few players in the NBA that can get as hot as Jamal Murray, make the degree of difficulty shots that Jamal Murray does. And he really showcased that a, a number of times last year and a number of times this year. So been very impressed with what he's done. Uh, he has been consistent with his numbers for last year. I think that he has to continue to grow if the Nuggets want him to be an all-star level player. But if not, the level of player that he's at right now is still pretty good. And if he can continue to enhance his skill set in the playoffs like he did this past season, he's got something there. The Nuggets have something in that. Number six. Nikola Jokic's buzzer beater versus the Dallas Mavericks. This was actually a game where Jokic wasn't performing very well at all. He really struggled in that game, and, and Paul Millsap was the one to really carry the day. He had a 30-plus points, Paul Millsap did, and Jokic had around 10 going into the final play. Uh, going down the other end, Luka Doncic beats the double team by Paul Millsap and Mason Plumlee and dunks the Nuggets into oblivion to put them up by one, to put Dallas up by one. And there are about five seconds left, and Jokic catches the ball at the top of the key, dribbles into mid, into the middle of the uh, like the free throw line, turns, pivots, and then spins around and shoots an awkward floater, just like his normal thing. He he's the most awkward player in existence and continues to make those shots. He hit that shot, nothing but net. Just a very, very impressive shot from Denver Superstar, who continues to show that he's clutch, who continues to prove that he's one of the most impressive clutch players in the NBA. He doesn't look it. He doesn't look like a guy that's going to get you buckets in a close game, but he can, and he has. Very impressive stuff from Nikola Jokic thus far. And... That shouldn't surprise anybody at this point. Nothing should really surprise anybody about Nikola Jokic. Um, he even did it this past game against the Kings. Uh, hit a really clutch turnaround shot, basically the Sambor shuffle, um, at about 15 feet, just immediately turning around. I watched him practice that shot in warmups a number of occasions, and he did that in the third quarter, or prior to the third quarter. In the like in the out of halftime warmup, he practices it. He practices that shot and makes sure that he has the juice to get it in. And with 30 seconds left, he delivered. <coughs> what more can you say about Jokic, honestly? Number five, we're gonna start getting into the playoffs in four of the next five, in, and I think that that's just the most impactful segment of 2019, and it shouldn't really surprise anybody that Gary Harris does make this list. His up-and-under layup against the Portland Trailblazers in Game 1, I believe it was Game 1 and not Game 2, uh, it was one of the most impressive shots Gary Harris has ever made in his career, 
And I remember Brian Anderson's call uh, because I was not in town to watch that one, unfortunately. But his call, come on, Gary Harris, just really rings in my head every time I think of that shot. Because you're just thinking the same thing. Come on, Gary Harris, how do you do that amazing stuff after you've been dealing with as many injuries as you've had? How can you still be so athletic? How can you still showcase that athleticism in such a pressurized moment? Gary Harris is underrated. And while it's it's very tough to build around a Jamal Murray-Gary Harris backcourt, the Nuggets are really going to miss Gary Harris if he ever goes. Because right now he's playing at a first team, all defensive level. He's performing under pressure. He's helping the Nuggets continue to win games by locking down the opposing team's best player. Continues to do that no matter what the situation is. And he's game four every now and then. Just makes one of these spectacular offensive plays that reminds people, man, he was a very, very strong offensive force early in his career. He may be transitioning into more of a complementary role, and that's fine. Especially if he's going to be an all-defensive level player. That's all you can really ask for at this point. Number four, Nikola Jokic's game winner versus the Philadelphia 76ers earlier this season. The Nuggets were down 19 points at the beginning of that fourth quarter. And Nikola Jokic played the entire frame, performed extremely well during that time against Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid had a really rough game. Nikola Jokic completely outplayed him. Totally earned the all def- uh, the all NBA first team bid that he received in the previous year. When those guys match up, Joel Embiid rarely faces a player who can match him size for size. And Jokic, while he isn't quite as large as Embiid is or quite as strong, can at least match up with him and then makes up the rest of the difference with his basketball IQ. A number of times in that game that Jokic hit threes, spaced the floor really well, was efficient inside, made some great moves, and the ultimate shot came on a scramble play where he passes the ball inside to Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap realizes he's going to get blocked into oblivion by about four Sixers defenders, dribbles the ball out, passes it to Jokic, who catches and fires up an awkward 19-footer, and hits the shot because of course he does. Of course Jokic hits another clutch shot because that's just who he is. Number three, we're going to go with a three-game segment here of games three, four, and five against the Portland Trailblazers. Game three, if you recall, was the four-overtime loss that the Nuggets had in which Nikola Jokic played 65 minutes, a number of other players played into the high 50s, Jokic, I think, finished with about 33 points, 18 rebounds, and 14 assists in that game, really showcasing his ability to just power through. And the Nuggets should have won that game, honestly. Rodney Hood made a seriously clutch shot in that game, and it it just happens. But the reason why this stretch of games is in there is because the Nuggets could have quit at that point. They had lost two games in a row, lost a heartbreaker in Game 3 in a four-overtime game. And what do they do in Game 4? They come back out, and Jamal Murray puts up 34 points 
extremely clutch. Jokic does what he needs to do to win. Torrey Craig is battling in that starting lineup, and the rest of the Nuggets come together, and they defeat Portland on their home floor to even the series at 2-2. And then in Game 5, the Nuggets go back to Pepsi Center, and the game isn't ever really super close. (laughs) Portland couldn't really match Denver's intensity in that game, and they were styling on them. Denver was styling on Portland for a while. Once they kind of smelled blood... They were performing and doing some crazy stuff, Uh, Jamal Murray especially, in those games. And he put up another 34-point performance in that one. So when you ask people, and Nuggets fans specifically, why they believe in Jamal Murray as a star, I can point to that two-game stretch right there where Denver was down 2-1 to after a heartbreaking loss. And Murray puts up back-to-back 34-point games, efficient 34-point games at that. And I think in one of those, he had zero turnovers, if if I'm not mistaken. So he has the capacity to up his game and really just take things to another level. And it's one of the reasons why I believe in him, why I expect great things from Jamal Murray. He has shown that capacity to do some amazing things, make some amazing shots. And this was just one of those things. Number two is game two versus San Antonio. The Nuggets were down one to zero after getting hit in the mouth in game one. And if you remember, Jamal Murray's first seven quarters of this series, his playoff debut, went about as badly as anybody could ask for. He missed a game-winning jumper, or a game-tying jumper, I believe, in the first game, in game one. And what does he do in game two? Well, the first three quarters was not great. It was, it was really, really bad. There were a lot of people seriously saying that Derek White the Derek White was a better prospect than Jamal Murray. And if you just looked at the seven quarters and and even game three to some degree, then you would be right. Then then you would have a justification to be able to say that. But this is where Jamal Murray really separated himself. In the fourth quarter of game two, puts up 21 points, eight of nine from the field, makes some incredibly tough shots, just continues to showcase why the Nuggets decided to put their eggs in his basket, why they signed him to a max contract, why they continue to show some confidence in the kid. Because the shot that he made when the Nuggets were just up by one possession in the closing minutes of Game 2 where he gets the ball in an isolation against Derek White, and the only thing he can do is take a sidestep three, hit the the sidestep, and then chuck up a deep 27, 28-foot three and absolutely drains it. That was probably the most impressive shot of, or we'll call it the second most impressive shot of Jamal Murray's career. Number one's coming up, don't worry. But we're going to call that game the Jamal Murray quarter. And when you when you ask people what they think and what they 
will take from the from the Nuggets basically inaugural season in the playoffs, how things began. Point to that game because that was really where things kicked off. That was really where things began to spiral and say, hey, this Nuggets team, as long as Jamal Murray's good, when he when he reaches that level, this Nuggets team can beat anybody. This Nuggets team can get into a playoff series versus almost any team in the NBA and have the firepower and the star power to match up with them. With Nikola Jokic leading the way and Jamal Murray being the shooting being the shooting point guard that he is, they have a lot of capability there. But number one has to be game seven against San Antonio. Denver was in a tough position because they were coming off of a loss in San Antonio where Nikola Jokic put up 43 points in game six. What more could he have done in a game <clears throat> where the Nuggets were trying to close out the series, where they were trying to do whatever they can? He couldn't do everything. And fortunately, he didn't need to because he came to play in game seven and so did a couple of other players just enough to really make it work. And it was completely understandable if Denver were to lose in that situation because they're going up against Greg Popovich. They're going up against LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, veterans of the playoffs who've been there, done that. Rudy Gay's been there. Patty Mills, Marco Bellinelli, guys like that off of San Antonio's bench. But Jokic carried the day for the Nuggets at the beginning of this game. He started off and then finished with a triple-double in this one. 21 points. 15 rebounds, 10 assists. He even had three shot, uh, three block shots, which is surprising, of course, to anybody that watches Jokic play. But the real story in this one was Jamal Murray, who, in the face of adversity, in the face of the Nuggets needing a win, he had 23 points on 19 shots, made five of his six free throws, only four assists, but just one turnover in a clutch pressure situation. The Nuggets needed all of that. They needed every single one of those points, and the one shot that stands out in that situation was his game-winning floater, game-sealing, series-sealing floater even, over LaMarcus Aldridge with about 30 seconds left. At that point, San Antonio didn't know what to do once DeMar DeRozan got blocked on the other end. The Nuggets were up four, and the Nuggets were just holding the ball. They did what they had to. They did. They were the veteran team in that situation. Jamal Murray, Nicole Jokic, Gary Harris, uh, Malik Beasley, Monte Morris. So many young players. So many guys who hadn't been to the playoffs before, who had never suited up for a playoff game. The only guys who had ever suited up for a playoff game were Paul Millsap, Will Barton had suited up, but he hadn't really done a lot. And Mason Plumley, who only played 12 minutes in this one. Just a very, very impressive and I would say game-changing moment for Denver's future. They didn't know what they could do against a, a tough San Antonio team. Uh, San Antonio was not a good playoff team. But once they got into the playoff picture, they had guys that could give Denver some issues. They had some veterans that, that you could totally see Denver dropping a game to those guys. But 
this was the moment that the Nuggets really stood up and persevered, really showcased that they had the guts and they had the ability to make it into the second round. And then they almost had the guts to make it into the Western Conference Finals over Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum and guys like that. The ball bounces a different way on C.J. McCollum's last jumper, and things change. Things things are completely altered in that situation. So it's going to be interesting to see where the Nuggets go this next season, where they take things in 2020. If 2019's any indication, then the track record for this team is on the up and up. They have the pieces. They have the youth. They have the star power to take this team to another level. They don't even have to make a trade in order to do that. They might. They might decide, hey, we need another guy in order to take things to the next level. But I firmly believe that they have the ability to make it to the Western Conference Finals even without a massive piece. And 2020 is going to prove that. Nikola Jokic is back on track. Jamal Murray has already proven what he can do. And Michael Porter Jr., if he turns out to be anything the Nuggets fans think he can be, at the level that they think he can be in his rookie year, then watch out, Nuggets Nuggets Nation. Oh, man. Butchered that one. (laughs) All right. That's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Ryan Blackburn, site manager for Denver Stiffs. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Nuggets Numbers on the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network, and we will see you guys next week. 